Good afternoon from rainy New York City. I'm Jeremiah Hosea. This is The Baseline. It's such an honor to be here. I can't even put it into words. It's been such an amazing experience hosting this program for the past several weeks, and I'm so thrilled to be here today because we have another amazing, amazing guest. I can't even believe that um, this is happening. We have a, a real heavyweight in the medical freedom movement. We have a man who, I guess he's like a, a real life Batman, pretty much. He's a, a wealthy superhero who um, is really standing up for the people. And I can't wait to jump into this interview with, is Steve Kershaw on the line? Can you hear me, Steve? Yeah, I can hear you, Jeremiah. Oh, so, so honored to have you on the air, Steve. I mean, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Well, first of all, um, we, I want to jump right into it because there's so many things I'd like to ask you and we're just going to go until we run out of time. This is a one-hour program. And um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, in terms of the carnage that's been inflicted by these shots, these injections that were falsely marketed as vaccines, where do we stand in terms of the compilation of strong evidence that these shots are dangerous. Like I know there's many peer-reviewed studies referencing autoimmune issues, uh, reduced sperm count, um, various heart issues, of course. We have outspoken doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough, Haseem Malhatra in the world of cardiac health who are saying this stuff is not good for your heart. We have all the anecdotal information that's been compiled through various documentaries. Um, which your guest yesterday on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation made a great point in terms of us misusing, among other terms that we've been misusing, we can add evidence to the list of terms we've been actively misusing. But where do you think we stand, Steve, in terms of what would you present to the public if you had the opportunity to do an open presentation and say, hey, this stuff isn't safe? What, what compiled evidence would you point to, first of all? Oh, that's a that's a really great question. Um, you know, there's there. Are, uh, I know there are over a thousand papers uh, that have been published in the peer-reviewed literature, that basically say that the vaccines are not safe, and they say that in various ways, uh, some more explicit uh, than others. And what's interesting, of course, is that the medical community discounts those and says. Uh, uses the rationale that, oh, you know, for every study, there's always a study that shows the opposite. And and so they basically try to convince you that their studies are, that say the vaccines are are effective, are better than, than the uh, than the, stat, the studies uh, that um, that show the opposite. And so you really have to it's it's tough for a member of the public, right? Because there are a lot of people that are going to say, <clears throat> pay attention to these studies, and these are the ones you should focus on. And then there are the people who are on my side of the issue who are saying, well, look, you know, those studies are flawed for these reasons, and you should pay attention to these studies. It's very similar to uh, what Jeff Childers um, uh, talked about in uh, – uh, in the, that episode that you uh, you, li you clearly listened to, um, where he said, you know, they're going to be experts on both sides, and both experts are going to try to convince the jury 
that they are correct and the other guy is wrong. And he said, you know, in every case in a court, one of those experts is completely wrong. Hmm. And it's up to the jury then to decide which expert is telling the truth and which expert is basically lying through their teeth or is incorrectly interpreting uh, the evidence to, if we're going to be more generous. And so uh, that's what makes it hard, because I can give you lots and lots of evidence uh, that's super compelling and, um, and stuff that is – and some of the, the best uh, uh, evidence, I think, is the, the anecdotal evidence, that you have these black swan events where, for instance, uh, Jay Bonner – uh, so he's a guy I met uh, just because he had written in on one of my surveys, and I got to talking to him, and he mentioned that he knew, I think it was 15 people that um, died suddenly after getting the vaccine. He personally knew 15 people. And I said, yeah, that's a, that's a lot more than most people know, because most people maybe know one person who died suddenly, um, or I should say a, a, a lot of people know uh, at least one person who died suddenly. Very few uh, know 15, and, and Jay's got a, a, a lot of people that he knows. And, but when you – I did a, uh, an analysis, a mathematical analysis, and I also had uh, Professor Norman Fenton do a mathematical analysis. And the, the chances of this happening just by random chance where the vaccine is perfectly safe, if you don't take everything into account it's, it's, uh, and do a very simple calculation – it's at least one in 81 million. And, of course, there are you know, 360 million people in the United States, so I could be accused of cherry-picking, but that mathematical calculation was not based on all of the evidence because a lot of these people that Jane knew were in their 30s and 40s, and they died on the day that they got the shot. And that wasn't taken into account in the mathematical calculation. Hmm. So. Just by this one incident, which anyone can verify, there is no question that these vaccines are killing people. And and if you made an estimation just from this one anecdote, which is 100% verifiable, that he knew that Jay Bonner knew all these people who died um, and that they died when he said they died, and they died unexpectedly, just like he said. All that's it's public information. All the names are out. You can verify this. It is way more likely that the vaccine has killed uh, one person per thousand than it is that the CDC's claim that the vaccine has killed uh, that the vaccine is safe and is it kills fewer than one person per million, and so. These facts are verifiable by anyone who chooses to go look at it, and nobody can explain it. And there are no anecdotes showing the reverse. So, so one has to look at the evidence in plain sight, and the best evidence is the evidence that people can verify for themselves, like this, uh, this Jay Bonner uh, case. So. That would that would be my answer, but you know there are other things as well. Um, you know there there's certainly all these turbo cancers, and but what what ends up convincing people is really 
that they knew someone who took the vaccine and then it died suddenly, especially if that person died like this within 24 hours of getting the vaccine. That really causes people to shift their thinking. And there are a lot of people that are in that case because the vaccine is so dangerous. So those people get clued in first. And people who don't know those people, they take longer. But the big convincer seems to be the vaccine itself when people have a friend who died. Wayne Root's another perfect example of this. He, uh, he had an event and he tracked the, what happened to each of the, uh, uh, the, the, the people that attended that event uh, since the event happened. And he tracked it over a year and he found that the people who were vaccinated, there were like 30 of them who either died, most, most of them died or were seriously injured, whereas the unvaxxed people, who is about an even number, um, uh, and it was hundreds of people, um, none of those people, I think it was one people, one person died. And so it was just a dramatic difference. So Wayne could tell just by his friends because he tracked what happened to his friends over the course of a year. Hmm. So thank you for that. That's a pretty thorough introduction to our discussion here. I want to ask you, Mr. Kirsch, have you been following the work of John Campbell on YouTube at all? Because he's been. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I peripherally uh, follow John. There's there's there are just so many um, great people to talk about. But John, of course, started off saying the vaccines are safe and effective. Yeah, exactly. And he encouraged people to get vaccines. And then he, as he uh, covered stories, he realized that he'd been lied to. And now he's just an outspoken critic of, of these vaccines. And he's, but he's tempered because he doesn't want to get deplatformed. Because right, exactly. if he gets deplatformed, then it's another voice that's lost. So he has to tiptoe. He has to be very careful. Yeah, he's been tiptoeing very carefully and very skillfully, I would say, because he's been doing this excess death series and he's been covering the excess death issue for several months now, more than half a year. And the other day, one of his recent videos from just a few days ago, he showed excess death for every week in the United States in 2023, that there was excess death for every week uninterrupted. So my next question is, are we at the phase of the game where we can say definitively that there is a causal relationship between the vaccine rollout, of course, which went over a different timeline depending what country you're in, but is there a direct correlation between vaccine rollout and excess death? Are we past the point where someone can use the overused phrase, correlation does not equal causation? Are we there? What? Yeah, you know, it seems if if you're a rational, uh, critical thinker, you'd say that look, there's no other. There's clearly a there's clearly a correlation there, and so the question is 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 it causation or is it being caused by something else? And we always ask people, look, if it's not the vaccine that caused this, then what did? What is causing these excess deaths? And what happens is that the health authorities simply shy away from answering that question. They will continue to insist uh, 
that correlation isn't causation. And they will continue to persist in ignoring the answer to the question, which is, okay, if it wasn't the vaccine, what caused it? It's a little bit like saying, you know, if, uh, you know, and some people say, well, you need a randomized clinical trial to really tell you whether something is, is caused by, by, um, uh, by, uh, by something else. And that's, of course, false. And then an example of that is if I hit a golf ball, if I swing the club and I contact the ball and the ball flies 240 yards, that is an observation that people can make. Now, you don't need a randomized trial to, to figure that one out. And, and, and if people say, well, it's just correlated when you swing the ball and you hit the, um, or you swing, swing the club and hit the ball, it's correlated that the ball definitely flies off, but is it really caused by the club hitting the ball? <laughs> and, of course, you'd say, yeah, you know, there's a scientific basis for cause and effect and, and all that. Um, and so this is a case where I think most people would admit that it is the club contacting the ball that causes the ball to fly and, and it's cause and effect. And in, in medicine, um, they, uh, they tend to obfuscate uh, things, especially if it goes counter to the narrative. And the thing is that when you have this repeatable repeatability of this stimulus happens and this, uh, this uh, reaction happens after the stimulus is, is applied, uh, then you have to say, okay, if it wasn't the uh, Occam's razor, uh, which is the most obvious explanation, is that the vaccine caused the dust. And so if it wasn't the vaccine, what was it? What is causing these excess deaths in, in, uh, in, in adults aged 44, uh, for example, in the United States? What's causing this huge increase? Because uh, it's, it's really quite astonishing. I mean, uh, um, uh, some of these uh, Z, uh, Z scores, uh, which are basically uh, a number of standard deviations, uh, that these statistics are. I mean, the, the Z-scores are like, you know, five or six or seven, which means it cannot possibly happen by chance. So something is killing these people. And there's no doubt about that. Nobody argues uh, that, okay, you know, we are having excess deaths. Nobody argues about that. So we can just argue about what the cause is. And the, uh, uh, the, the people will always say that, oh, you know, it's, it's just uh, it's just correlated. It's not caused. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, you have to look at, well, if the vaccine uh, is, is a possibility, it's a hypothesis, it's a reasonable hypothesis because we not only have the correlation, but we also have the mechanism of action. And we also have the temporal um, factor that, uh, oh, this happened right after a vaccine. And so that says suspect number one is that these excess deaths were caused by the vaccine. And there is no alternative hypothesis. Because in science, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to come up with a bunch of hypotheses that might be able to explain the observations. And what you do in science is you say, 
hey, what, what, uh, what hypothesis is the best fit to the data? And so far, <laughs> the best fit to the data is that the vaccines cause these excess deaths, and there is no alternative hypothesis. And that should be very troubling for people, but the health authorities are all silent about it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, talk about agency capture. Um, you know, I think that's an underused phrase. I think after the past few years, I think we should all be very well acquainted with the term and realizing that it's plaguing our society at this point. It's rather serious. Um, and speaking of which, uh, we, we just mentioned John Campbell, but another person I wanted to bring up is, um, are you familiar with the work of Denis Rancourt? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Right, of course. So he wrote uh, the There Was No Pandemic, right? That was his, uh, I think it was his inaugural substack. And he points to a lot of incredible um, points of, of information that the average person certainly not aware of. And I want to kind of trace this back to my own experience a little bit. I have this really cool television app on my Fire Stick that a friend of mine uh, got for me, basically. It's called IPTV, and it gives me television from all around the world. And when COVID started, immediately my first channel became the Coronavirus Information Channel, which along with everything that was going on, which is very intriguing, and I started... Um, tuning in to follow all these numbers that were just flying by every second. They had number of cases, number of deaths, and number of people recovered in every country in the world. And I was just astonished to see what I was seeing in terms of, first of all, is this the most coordinated effort in the history of the world? I mean, if we're capable of this type of coordination, we should systematically get rid of every disease and every social ill, for that matter, if we're suddenly just concerned about the global community. And I was watching the numbers very closely, and it was very strange to observe. And I feel like this is sort of a missing link, in my opinion, because I've listened to so many lectures, discussions, so many great thinkers have jumped in to make their contribution to the discussion. But one thing that I feel is not being discussed enough is this strange question of this pandemic virus and how it spread and how it did not spread. So for example, Tanzania is a country I had the pleasure of visiting when I was 15 years old. And I didn't realize until this event that, wow, Tanzania has a population of 58.3 million people. And for a long time, I don't know what number they've reached, but for a long time, their COVID death total was like 12. And then at a certain weird interval, interval, it jumped up to about 50. But I'm thinking, okay, if I'm in Tanzania right now, am I running around frantically trying to get injected with an experimental vaccine to save my life because 50 people died in approximately two years in a country of 58.3 million people? Or China itself, where the virus originated, according to what we understand at this point, and I don't know what the number is now, but for a long period of time, China never broke 5,000 official deaths. They were at 4,662 was the last number I remember, with obviously a much larger population, and that's where the virus started. So have you 
thought about that or looked into that a little bit? What's the deal with this virus, how it spreads and how it does not spread? There's a lot of countries where there was single-digit, double-digit, or maybe triple-digit death after, you know, over a year, two years. They couldn't possibly be in the manic, chaotic, uh, fear-driven state that we were driven into with those numbers. What do you think about that? Well, I think that uh, we have to be careful uh, in interpreting the numbers, because you could. Uh, but, uh, by the way, I was just in uh, uh, Tanzania um, about. How'd you uh, enjoy yourself? Um, it was uh, it was quite an experience. We were uh, uh, in the Serengeti, uh, oh, wow. and and we were at a camp in the Serengeti, uh, which was set up by National uh, Geographic. So it was. Uh, quite an experience. So we actually had running water and, and hot showers in our tents that was uh, in a makeshift camp. But um, uh, that's another story. Remarkable. But they, they, yeah, but, the, so, but you know, numbers, uh, the, the, the health authorities could say, oh, well, they just weren't uh, accurately reporting the numbers, right? So there's always an excuse for the numbers. So some, the, the numbers can be underreported and, and overreported in, in terms of deaths and, and so forth. And, I've looked very carefully. So, I mean, you always try to look at, at the best data sources. And the best data sources are the data sources that people don't think are going to be analyzed. And, and the best data sources are when you have record-level data, uh, and it's coming from various uh, primary sources. And the best data, because once it's collected, um, there can be uh, systematic errors that can cause these uh, huge uh, mistakes to be made. So the UK, for example, collects this data and then publishes the data. But if they make a mistake, it applies to all the data. And if they're undercounting or overcounting the unvaccinated, they make a mistake, that can have devastating impacts. And so people like... Uh, Professor Norman Fenton in the UK analyzed this data that was put up by the UK government, which is supposed to be gold standard data. And he pointed out that, hey, you know, you've made some very critical mistakes here and you cannot draw any conclusions that the vaccine was effective or not from this data. And they actually, uh, to their credit, they looked at what he said, and they agreed with him. <laughs> and they agreed that the data was not fit for the purpose that they claimed. So here's an uh, it, it, this is ex- exceptional. This is an, a UK government uh, authority, the Office of National Statistics, agreeing with Professor Norman Fenton that their data is crap. <laughs> and uh, so... So you really have to be skeptical with the U.K. data, this gold standard U.K. data that people are relying on is crap. And you really have to be skeptical of all the data that's out there. And one of the best data sources that that I've been looking at is the um, is the data that's collected by uh, uh, Medicare in the United States. And they've been collecting for for over two years now. They've been collecting 
weekly reports from all the U.S. nursing homes. And they've been publishing it, and nobody's been paying any attention to it. And I stumbled across this database, and I said, my gosh, this is a treasure trove of ground truth data. And it's from over 15,000 independent sources, and it's collected by, uh, by Medicare and published on the Internet for anyone to see. And this data is not massaged by the authorities. It is not correlated and collected and summarized by the authorities. It is there in its raw form. This is, in my opinion, this is the best data source ever for figuring out what is going on because it's looking at nursing homes. And nursing homes is where, in the very beginning of the pandemic, 40% of the deaths from COVID were in the nursing homes. So what's going on in the nursing homes is very, very important. Here you have over 15,000, it's about 15,300 nursing homes independently reporting what's going on in the nursing homes. So you can look at that. And you can say, oh, my gosh, there was a problem or there wasn't a problem. And it turns out when you look at that data, you actually find out what I will call is the truth about what's really happening, uh, which is that, look, there, there were deaths from the initial wave of COVID. But that's pretty much it. This was kind of a one-and-done deal. Right. The vaccines didn't actually make much of an effect at all. The variants um, uh, were the big killers. If you had a, 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 a killer variant like, like Delta, then it, it did kill some people. But by and large, this is a, this is a non-event. This was completely blown up, and the Medicare numbers – just show that very clearly, these Medicare uh, nursing home uh, numbers. And this is why nobody's talking about it. I mean, this is the ground truth data, and nobody's talking about this data. Nobody's saying, hey, look, look, this shows that, yeah, there really was a pandemic, and this shows that there's a vaccine's work. Nobody is on, on the pro-vaccine side. Nobody's pointing to the this is the gold standard ground truth data, and everybody's ignoring. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of ignoring that's going on at this point in this atmosphere is horrifying, actually. It's just totally horrifying. I mean, for Biden to get up there, the, you know, he decided he's, he's the president doctor. He has medicine to administer. I mean, that's one of the strangest things to me about this whole thing. Politicians who can't fix any social ill, can't even fix a pothole, mandating medicine and people not realizing, uh, yeah, we don't really have that kind of trusting relationship with you for you to even think you could get away with such a thing. I mean, I thought I was going to have to jump off the train to run down to the station because the New York City subways are in a state of disrepair. And to me, it's the same people who can't run those subways trying to give me medicine now. Um, that's just sorry. That's my little working class rant um, mid episode here. But I want to ask you now, Steve, um, in regard to uh, the legal front, the legal movement in the past, I believe 
uh, you've been a little bit, I don't know what the right word is, a little bit um, pessimistic, I guess we could say, in terms of uh, our ability to stand up for ourselves legally. But how could that be the case? I mean, can't we mobilize a good legal front? Can't we get Aaron Siri and other qualified lawyers to make a, a dream team on behalf of the American people? I mean, our rights have been violated so severely. Why can't we just organize a really strong legal resistance here? What What is the impediment to that? Uh, yeah, the impediment of, uh, to that is our government. And the government has uh, battened down the hatches and sealed themselves up so that they're, that they and the uh, drug companies are immune from prosecution. And this is why you don't have these people going to jail and being charged. Well, so there, there, there are a couple of things. One, one is that the laws are written such that uh, it's very hard to uh, convict these guys and, and, and bring charges against them. But the other thing is the, the public perception. So if the if a state attorney general or a uh, uh, a, a district attorney were to bring criminal charges against any of these people, the public would um, would not look kindly upon that. They would be furious because there's probably I don't know what the numbers are today, but probably half the public believes that the vaccines were a good thing and uh, that the doctors are correct and vaccines save lives and masks are good. But that's declining more and more. So I think that has to happen where it's a very clear majority of the people realize that they've been had before some of these uh, cases are, are brought to, uh, to the courts. And so the issue here for example, let, let's take Apple Valley Village uh, Healthcare Center. And these guys had like 29 or so cases of COVID and nobody was dying. Nobody, no, they have perfect track record. Nobody's dying from COVID. They roll out the vaccines. With four weeks of the vaccine rollout, they have 90 cases of COVID. And they have about 30 deaths. Now, so you went from, and, and it's the same variant. It's the same variant. <laughs> what was the difference? The difference was that after they gave these shots, they people were dropping like flies. In fact, they gave the shots on December 27th and 28th. And uh, they called staff members back because people were dropping like flies after these uh, vaccines were given, and they needed people to deal with the, the aftermath of that. So they called these people back um, from, from their, their Christmas holidays and said, report to work, we have an emergency here. And so they clearly knew that the vaccines were killing people. But they continued to administer the vaccines. It's like a horror movie. It's like a horror movie. And, you know, and, and the rationale, of course, is that, well, it's an optional medical intervention. We're, we're not forcing anyone to take the vaccines. 
We're offering it to you if you want to take it to protect against COVID. But the problem is that they can't really do that. They're not protected because they know the vaccines are killing people because they they know it. They call people because of all these deaths that were happening. So they know it. But do you think we're going to be able to get a district attorney or an attorney general to bring charges against any of the people at Apple Valley Village Healthcare Center? Because if we can do that, the whole thing's over. It's going to stop everywhere. All it takes is one district attorney or one attorney general bringing criminal charges against these people for killing people. They knew that they were giving people a dangerous substance, and they can't hide behind it. But, and the law actually supports this. But the problem is that we need people with a spine who are going to bring charges against these people who basically should have known better. And then, even if you bring the charges, you have to get a jury. Now, you got to get a jury to convict. Well, the jury consists of, of a dozen people, and you have to get it unanimous. Do you think you're going to get a jury to convict these people when they've been told by the health authorities that the vaccine is safe? So they have evidence in, in plain sight that this thing was killing massive numbers of people in their health care center, but the authority says, no, oh, it's safe and effective. So they have sort of plausible deniability and, you know, no criminal intent. They didn't intend to. There may be this case for, for criminal negligence, but are you going to get a district attorney to bring charges? And the district attorney is only going to bring charges if he's, thinks that there's a high likelihood of a conviction. And so then it boils down to, would a jury of, of uh, 12 people uh, vote unanimously um, to, uh, to put these people, to put people who administered this after realizing it was, it was deadly um, in jail? What do you think? Right. Yeah, I mean... I just I'm I'm so dumbfounded in terms of the damage that's been inflicted. Um, a good reference point actually just is the VAERS system, right? Which I think has been misinterpreted. It's I find it so ridiculous when people try to attack VAERS when it's a safety mechanism. Basically, I mean, why would you attack that? You would maybe suggest to improve it if you think it it should be improved. But for people to act like it's just this ridiculous thing, well, no, it's supposed to issue not a perfect data set, but a signal that's supposed to be responded to. And the sing signal's gone off like a five-alarm fire, and the agencies that are supposed to respond to that have not, which is just another outrageous thing that we've witnessed here. And um, I want to uh, start, because we're... We're not running out of times, uh, running out of time, but rather, you know, we're we're on the second half of the program. We're we're a good portion of the way through, and I wanted to really make sure to leave time, so it's not a rush, so that people can get familiar with your Substack, 
the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, which does a great presentation every Thursday. I recommend you guys tune into that, become a part of that network, that community. Follow VSRF on Twitter, for sure. Follow Steve Kirsch on Twitter. But um, I wanted to mention Twitter for a, a second, Steve, because you're very well uh, known on Twitter, and you were one of the band individuals. You have the distinction of being a misinformation super spreader, which I commend you for that title in an atmosphere where misinformation just means the information you're not supposed to know. But um, one question I have is with all the big voices on Twitter, including yours, Del Bigtree comes to mind, Robert Malone has a good following. Why can't we get that one million like Twitter tweet that calls Joe Biden out in the Biden administration for crimes against humanity. Like there's a lot of like, you know, tweets floating around. And if you have a following, maybe you get a few thousand followers. But can't we just engineer a tweet that gets one million likes that says, Joe Biden, you pushed heart attack, stroke inducing drugs on the American population. You have committed a crime against your country. Why can't we get that one big boom on Twitter that we can share all over the place until it's 10 million and these folks know that we're on to them? Well, that's a great question. Um, I know that I'm being uh, shadow banned and I've been told that anyone who's been previously banned has been uh, is being shadow banned. Uh, so it's difficult, even if we have millions of followers for us to get that if we've ever been banned in the past. So it has to be somebody who's not been banned in the past. And the most obvious candidate for uh, doing something like that would be uh, a guy who runs a car company, Elon Musk. (laughs) He's strangely positioned, Musk is, when you say he sort of positioned himself somewhat strangely in all of this. Yeah, so if, if, if Musk were to tweet out something like this, I'm sure he would get a million likes. Right. I, I have no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and uh, I wanted to just comment on the VARES data, is that it is interesting that the people who discount the VARES data, you know, it's funny, when the VARES data supports their point of view, the VARES data is definitive. But when it goes, when the various data shows something that's a, that is counter to their belief system, then all of a sudden the various data becomes not credible at all. And so, for example, the CDC has used the various data, and they don't uh, do a correction for the underreporting amount in VARES. and they say, "Look, oh, there are so few cases of myocarditis, and you know we have these hundreds of millions of doses." And by golly, there are only a thousand reports, so that's only a thousand cases out of hundreds of millions, and therefore, uh, the myocarditis caused by the vaccine is actually less than myocarditis caused by the virus. And that's absurd. There isn't a single cardiologist in the entire United States that has had fewer cases of myocarditis after the vaccines rolled out. (laughs) They've gone up dramatically. We've seen kids who are super young getting myocarditis. 
So Demar Hamlin, is, Ronnie James. Yeah. So yeah. Yo, with Demar Hamlin, let's talk about Camosio Cordis. Like, boy, you know. So first of all, Camosio Cordis never happens in football. Second of all, he's too old to have Camosio Cordis. And third is that he wasn't struck in the chest. I'm a Bengals fan. I was looking closely. There was no impact of this kind. It's preposterous. Let's be honest. It's preposterous. He's lying to the American public, and everybody gives him a pass saying, oh, that was it. Hey, thanks for telling it. And when Michael Strahan interviewed him, uh, he said, so, you know, what caused this? And he says, well, you know, I'd rather, we can't talk about that. Let's talk about something else. Right. And so, look, if it was really commercial quarters, this would not be something that he couldn't talk about. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I, I don't want to spend the rest of the program describing anecdotally what I've seen. But it's it's unreal. I mean, I have I'm a chess instructor, Steve. I actually wanted to ask you if you play chess at some point. Yep. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. Yeah, I used to uh, play chess um, as a kid, and I was, uh, was pretty good at it. Won, well, that's awesome. Uh, won a bunch of uh, competed in tournaments and did did really well. And and I I knew and and early on I I I learned the secret of chess: how to always win at chess. That's incredible. There's actually a book called The Secret of Chess. Yes, is, and, the, and the secret is you always make the best possible move. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy once you get the hang of it. But um, as far as, uh, I can't even remember why I brought up chess. Oh, yeah, right. I was going to say I'm a chess instructor, and I had a student who I gave a few lessons to, young boy, um, probably, I don't know if he was six years old, and um, yeah, I didn't want to wear a mask during our lesson, and the... Uh, the babysitter contacted the mother. He's unmasked. He's unmasked. And I said, well, I, I'd rather not wear a mask. I don't believe in the health benefit of it. I think it's a negative efficacy intervention, and it definitely interferes with the lesson and our ability to communicate. And the mother said, um, I understand. You're probably right. The mask doesn't work, but we're just we're very nervous, and we just appreciate it just if you wear it because our son was hospitalized after his first COVID shot. And uh, they said, you know, it's probably just an anomaly. We'll just wait a little bit of extra time until his second shot, in which he had an even more severe reaction and was hospitalized again. Um, again, in the world of chess, I went to vote. Uh, the only time I ever voted for a Republican in my life, to be honest with you, I voted for Curtis Sliwa. I'll be perfectly honest on these airwaves, for, simply for the medical freedom um, reasons. I, he was against the mandates, so he got my vote for that, plain and simple. Got beaten in pretty much a landslide, but I saw a mother of one of my students who I'd taught for years who, you know, didn't stick with chess too much. Now he's really into his hockey, but um, I stay in touch with his mother on Instagram. And I actually bumped into her when I went to vote, and I said, I, I remember she had some hesitation about vaccines in general. I remember that discussion had come up. And I said, I remember you being cautious about vaccines. I hope you know better than to let your son get injected with this completely unnecessary experimental shot. And she said, yeah, but I had to get it because she, she's a doula. She works in hospitals. And she said, I got my shot and went right into anaphylaxis. They basically had to save my life where I received my shot. And that's just one of several stories within my family I don't want to go person by person by person, but as I said on the uh, Vaccine Safety Research Foundation post, uh, 
post-show Twitter space that usually happens on Thursday nights, I mentioned it's simply true that my unvaxxed family members are doing better than the vaxxed ones. There's a variety of new health issues that have emerged in the vaccine zealots. And I'm not sure if they've made the correlation, but I certainly have. And uh, I'm just seeing it all around. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, for example, if someone says that they have COVID, I just assume that they're vaccinated. I mean, I know a lot of unvaccinated people. We have a nice group of information sharers, which is almost entirely unvaccinated. No one's getting COVID. But if you tell me I have COVID, and especially if you tell me I've had it three or four times, I know you've been vaccinated. So where do we stand with that in terms of the vaccinated person is far more likely to get COVID and apparently more likely to die from COVID. So aside from all the other dangers, the myocarditis, et cetera, it increases your chances of getting COVID. How crazy is that? Yep, it certainly does. And that is, in fact, exactly what we saw in the uh, U.S. nursing home data, we saw that people were more likely to get COVID and more likely to die from COVID if they've been vaccinated. It's exactly the opposite of what we were told. And there's this great study. It was done at the Cleveland Clinic. And this is one of the top institutions in the world for doing studies. And they found that the more vaccines you got, the more likely you were to get COVID. And it was, they weren't looking for this. This was not the, the, the purpose of the study. The purpose of the, of the particular study was to look at the effect of the latest booster and to show how effective it was. And they concluded that the latest booster was effective. But they also noted in their paper, as an aside, not as the main thrust of the paper, they noticed that, Oh, isn't this interesting? The people who got COVID and recovered were less likely to get COVID. But the people who got the vaccines, the more vaccines they got, the more likely they were to get COVID. It was unambiguous. They even did a second paper to focus on that because people would say, oh, well, you know, that wasn't the primary endpoint and you didn't do all the uh, the sensitivity analyses that you should have done. And so they went back and revisited the data and they wrote a paper just on the fact that the more doses, the more infections. And they showed that, no, you can't explain it. The only way you can explain it is that it really happened. This was not a confounder. This was real. You, the more vaccines you get, the worse you are. But the more recently you were infected with COVID, the better you're, um, the, the less likely you were to get COVID. So in other words, natural infection worked exactly the way everybody says and exactly the way it's been working for um, you know, since the beginning of time. Um, and, uh, and, but the vaccine was, was completely opposite. And so this is a Cleveland clinic study. And so I analyzed the, uh, the nursing home data and, and was, was, was shocked. I, 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 people were getting COVID 
after getting the vaccine and dying. And at first I thought, well, I thought people were dying from the vaccine itself, but it was clearly the case where people were getting COVID, more COVID infections were happening and more people were dying from COVID. So just kind of a, a double uh, effect there was killing people uh, just from the vaccine itself, but it was also killing people because it was causing them to be more susceptible to COVID and more susceptible to dying from COVID. And that was really clear uh, from the data. So it's interesting that you should mention that because, yes, your observations actually match the data. And they also seem to match somewhat the description of what Gerd Vandenbosch warned us would happen, don't doesn't it? I mean, he said that we're, I mean, if I'm, you know, I'm trying to use a, a layperson's analogy, but it's like the, the COVID shot seems to be sort of programming people's bodies with sort of yesterday's operating system. And then as the new variants appear, the body's not able to adapt. They're saying, hey, wait a second, you, you gave us the old operating system. What's all this new software you're trying yeah, to Yeah, nah, but it's worse than that, hmm. right? Because <laughs> what you got is, is you didn't even get protection against the old, the old the thing it was supposed to protect against. And, and again, that's very clear from the nursing home data because it was the original variant that the vaccines were developed against. And the variant that shows up in the nursing home data was the original variant. It, was, it, it, it had not um, mutated uh, by then. And so you could see that the vaccines were actually making things worse. So it was a, a really bad intervention. And they ended up killing hundreds of thousands of people uh, because of that intervention. There's, there's pretty much no doubt about that. All of the, the data I've seen is very consistent with that. Right. It, it, like, you know, it's, it's, it's over half a million people were killed by the COVID vaccines. I mean, I think it's, it's got to be the, the, the single largest intervention by the United States government for killing Americans ever. Yeah, it, it appears to be so, sadly. Um, there's more questions that I have for you than we'll be able to sneak in before the end of the hour. But I wanted to um, give you ample time to direct people to your Substack, the VSRF. How do people get involved? How do people start becoming aware of this ongoing conversation that we all have to take responsibility for? I mean, I think you're aware, Steve, it's not about a particular medical intervention. It's not about a particular disease. This is kind of getting down to really fundamental concepts of freedom and the type of society that we're living in. And uh, I thank you just so much again for your, for your courage, for being a leader in this, for being an, an astute and outspoken and tireless fighter. And, uh, you know, you have my back. Anything I can do here in New York City, I'm an independent artist, I'm a chess teacher, I'm a father of two young kids, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to rally the troops and do anything I can do to support your effort. But how do people get involved with the VSRF, and how do people find you on Substack? So uh, uh, my Substack is uh, kirschsubstack.com, K-I-R-S-C-H, Substack, well, all one word. Dot com you, you, uh, and uh, you can also uh, go to uh, stevekirsch.substack.com 
as well, and it'll lead you to the same place. Uh, or you can just do a Google search. I think if you type in, uh, let me let me just try it right now. So Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, and Substack. Let's see if they will actually return. Yeah, they returned. They were nice enough to return my uh, uh, newsletter as the as the top hit. <clears throat> And go, and go to Rumble and type in VSRF or, or write, actually, maybe because a few things will pop up. So I've had better success than I think about it, writing Vaccine Safety Research Foundation on Rumble and go catch all the weekly episodes. They've had amazing guests on a weekly basis. It's all worthwhile. Different aspects of the conversation and all just fascinating, very rich, very relevant stuff. Yeah, and if you, t- if you type in just vaccine safety, on Rumble, you'll get at the very top, uh, it, it'll have a, a VSRF uh, where you can follow it. Now, I hate to end the show. We only have a couple minutes, so I'm going to ask you like this huge question to end the show that I'm going to need you to give us sort of a summarized answer. But um, I know that as you've delved into this subject of vaccine safety, I know you've touted the book. I haven't gotten my hands on it yet. I certainly mean to. But the book, I believe it's called Turtles All the Way Down. Is that the yeah. title? And could you just oh, give yeah. us an overview in terms of uh, there's reason to be concerned. I mean, I'm a person, I wasn't an anti-vaxxer, although I've been labeled as such because I rejected the COVID injection, which was falsely marketed as a vaccine. People, of course, called me an anti-vaxxer. I've had my children vaccinated with basic vaccines. Not, I thought it was crazy to try to... Uh, vaccinate them with hepatitis the day they were born. I guess that should have clued us in that these people don't necessarily know what they're doing um, and they might not have our best interests in mind. But at the same time, I figured, like so many people, naively, oh, that's the medical establishment. They know what they're doing. You have to take their word for it. And now that our trust has been violated, I'm one of the many people who's saying, hey, wait a second, do these folks know what they're doing? Are they making decisions with our well-being in mind? Uh, so what, can you just give us a quick explanation as to why we should really be concerned about vaccines in general and we shouldn't take anything for granted at this point in terms of the efficacy or the necessity of these products? Yeah. <clears throat> Every study that has ever been done comparing the completely unvaccinated versus the fully vaccinated, every single study in the peer-reviewed literature shows that the unvaccinated are better off. Not only that, but there is a uh, pediatric clinic. It's been around for 25 years, uh, and they're still operating. They haven't been shut down yet, and the reason is they keep a low profile. So I won't reveal uh, what their name is. They've been doing this for 25 years, um, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids, and they've never had a case of autism. And they're in a an area where there's lots of autism. And the reason is that they always give parents a choice. Do you want to vaccinate your kid? And what they do is they they basically tell the parents, hey, here are the pros and here are the cons. They're, they actually give informed consent for a vaccine. They don't just say, yeah, we recommend the vaccine. We're going to give you informed consent. And all the parents basically refuse to get their kids vaccinated in their practice because they do such a great job of informed consent. 
And as a result, these kids don't get ADHD. They don't get um, autism. They don't get uh, peanut allergies. They don't get any food allergies. They don't get any autoimmune diseases. They don't get panda pans. They don't get any of this stuff that our kids are getting. Right. Well, Steve, we're running out of time. I'm really sorry to cut you off. Uh, we're just at the end of the program here, but I want to thank you so much. You you really uh, informed the audience here today with a lot of great information that everyone should really take into consideration. Please follow up with Steve Kirsch. His Substack is outstanding. Please get connected with the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. And um, yeah, I'm I'm so honored that you joined us today, Steve. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. And like I said, consider me a soldier for the cause anything that we can do to put our heads together to try to fight this monster. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremiah. Thank you. Um, anyone who uh, wants to support me, contact me. I'll give you a PRN discount on a chess lesson. I have music at my website, jeremiahhosea.com. I'll share the spoils with this, with this radio station. And check out this song, actually. It's called Crying Won't Help. It's a call to action. And it features Vernon Reed.